Welcome everyone to our first mover Cyber Monday Next Commerce newscast for everything that's happened of great import as of April 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Thank you to all of you who are joining us either live and or on demand as we will take you any way you come in this omni-channel world. But we design all of our events, including Cyber Monday News, uh, to, to support your busy lifestyle. And we want you to be able to catch up whenever it's convenient to you. Um, so we're very excited to have all of you joining us. We know a lot of you have been out on different spring breaks and hopefully well-deserved vacations over the last many weeks. I myself uh, just came back from one. So was actually very excited to re, you know, remind myself of everything that had gone on, even some of the stuff that happened last week. Now, as always, there's stuff that's probably happening as we're listening um, so if we miss something, feel free to shoot it to us so we can include it on the next one, um, because undoubtedly it'll play into some trend or some kind of in between the lines, something that we haven't paid attention to. So um, very excited to have all of you joining us. We always have new people and we see our new people to the community. So for anybody who doesn't know First Mover, you're not that far away because you are a First Mover. We are your satellite center of excellence for e-commerce education and change management. Um, we do everything from our public events, uh, these newscast series, many other events that we have going on that are free uh, for brand manufacturers to attend or anybody in between roles. Uh, we do custom trainings and certifications for all audiences, every function, every level, beginner, Jedi, you name it. Um, custom programs for your organizations to help everyone come over the change curve or you know go to that next level in, in more advanced strategies and e-commerce and Omni, and we do a lot of uh, advisory work for all different parties across the industry. Um, honestly, if you can't find someone that knows how to do something, we often have done it and can help you do it. If not, we can point you towards somebody who does. So uh, we, we cover the gamut here to support you, the first movers, because every first mover needs a first mover, and it takes some to know some, right? So while it's not about these ugly mugs, uh, we are here to support you as fellow first movers. My name is Chris Perry. I'm the chief learning officer and co-founder here. I've been in the trenches and have led e-commerce across multiple CPGs, Reckitt, Wellness, and Kellogg's. I also got to work with a lot of wonderful uh, brands at Edge by Essential, where I headed up global exec education. And then for now, the last three years, uh, have been a co-founder of First Mover, uh, doing just what, what I shared. I, I couldn't do any of this without my partner in crime here, Oscar Kashupski, our chief growth officer, fellow co-founder, who's been in the CPG e-commerce space for the last decade in the digital and startup space for 10 years prior to that. Um, not to make us sound old, but just to make us sound very, very wise, which is the, which is the goal. So we are here to support you as fellow trench fighters um, any, in any way we can, whether it's officially through First Mover whether it's a shoulder to cry on or a connection in the industry, you let us know we are here to help. Um, our Cyber Monday series is just one of many series that we are running in the industry, all free to brand manufacturers or anybody that, that, that is in between roles or in an ambiguous spot will welcome you with open arms. We do events every month and we've been adding events. So Cyber Monday is our monthly Next Commerce newscast. Um, but we also do our retailer and category events. So actually our Amazon US and Amazon Europe events start tomorrow and Wednesday. Um, Europe in the early morning, if you're in the North America or a global market, but located here, uh, but obviously afternoon for Europe. Uh, we also in the afternoon Eastern time, 
um, morning time, Pacific time, we have our Amazon US. You can go sign up for that or you can get your teams to sign up for that. Whether or not you can join live is okay. You can get the recordings after. Um, so we welcome you to come however you can. But we've got for the next two days, we've got all the latest strategies from some leaders across the space in Europe and the US and, and relevant to Canada in many instances um, for Amazon. Um, next month, we've got our Kroger event. Uh, in June, we've got our Bev Alk event. And then we'll have our Amazon September event again, just because there's always new stuff on Amazon, Target in October. And if you feel like we left out anybody, we already did Instacart and Walmart year to date. So we, we try to cover all the key platforms. Um, but we don't just stop there. We also have strategy events. Um, so we've done a number of different change management, uh, capability building events. Um, we've actually, our Smarter Growth Series, we've already done two of those on how to drive incrementality through basket building or new shopper acquisition. We've got a loyalty frequency event in, later in the year. And actually our new series that we've just added, which will be highly relevant to many of you, is our Future Of series. Um, but we'll get down into like how you win today, tomorrow, and then how to look at, at long-term. Um, on 5-5 or May 5th, we've got our Future Of Content event. Um, on 6-6, on June 6th, we've got our Future of Measurement event, and we've got three more that aren't even on this calendar on innovation, uh, you know, fulfillment, um, and go-to-market strategy. So a lot more coming on the future of and, and really like tangible future of like what we can do to set up for long-term success. So all of these are at firstmover.com forward slash events. They are all free. We welcome you to sign up. And on top of that, we also, many of you have already claimed your torch badges. We have our torch certification program. Um, this is a free certification program, no catches, no strings, just a way to credit you for all the learning that you've been doing with First Mover. Many, we've got some people who've spent like weeks of their lives with us and the number of hours. And we hope we earned that and we promise we'll keep trying to earn more of your time. But if you haven't claimed your badge, um, and we still have a couple outstanding ones because I was out last week, so I apologize. Um, I, I, I've got a few to follow up on. But if you want to claim your Torch badge, it's free. Just email us at torch at firstmover.com. Literally attending this session today earns you the first badge. Um, so if you've been with us before, you probably have a higher level. And that comes with not only a real badge you can add to LinkedIn, all the perks and glory and your mother's love, but all the, uh, some other opportunities that will come um, this year for some of our higher level badges and we will also be adding some other external events that you can take uh, credit for. We just like to get permission from them before we just add them on. So, um, but again, torch at firstmover.com. I already see an email that came through. You can claim your badge um, and would love to have you get credit for all the learning that you're doing anyway. So let's get into Cyber Monday, next commerce news. So we always frame all of our news into kind of a three-part story they all blur the lines here, but what we've learned in e-commerce is that winning offline or in-store really requires winning online first. And that's because in blue, digital is driving everything. And so digital isn't just driving digital commerce, but also in-store. The shelf is shrinking as a result of people migrating online, at least in, in the first part of their journey, and that shelf getting smaller because of where eye level is online and the influence of that eye level. And then also e-commerce lowers the barrier to entry and you've got a lot more competition online, um, fragmented competition because of marketplaces, because of private brands, because of D2C, 
And so all of that fuels even more digital influence. And it just kind of keeps spinning this next commerce flywheel news cycle. And so while this cycle might change in the future and other things will influence, we find that organizing the chaos that you might see on LinkedIn in your feed always helps a little bit. So we saw a couple really interesting things uh, this month. There's always a lot. And we try to do that beautiful mind thing where we thumbtack and yarn things together to make a little bit more sense of them. So um, in the first bucket, right, digital is driving. One of the things that we thought was kind of unique and different, and again, it's still in its early pilot phase, we call it, we consider the shopper engagement, but I also would argue this could be O to O excellence in terms of offline to online or online to offline as people are increasingly shopping a number of different models. We said that this was a solve for the return trip, but the, the, in an effort to drive greater sustainability in the market, which is many retailers priority at this point, um, named or unnamed to date, uh, there's, there's an organization called the Consortium to Reinvent the Retail Bag. They have launched a pilot to test a returnable retail bag deposit model. Um, and so the, the overarching goal of this is to reduce single-use plastic bag waste, which a lot of retailers have been trying to do um, either by charging shoppers to use bags or by providing some of those uh, you know, reusable bags, which I've seen a lot of shoppers actually proactively doing, which is great. Um, I've also seen a lot of shoppers who don't like the hassle um, or, or haven't found that the pain was worth the gain, even if it wasn't a gain for themselves. Um, but this is a pilot in New Jersey at select CVS and Target stores. I'm not surprised those two retailers are really pushing this agenda, which is great in this pilot, um, where in New Jersey, the, the, a plastic ba bag ban took effect. So this is even more needed as we're trying to remove even additional waste and, and other forms. Um, shoppers can purchase a reusable bag for a dollar at checkout and get the deposit back when they return the bag during a return trip. Now, the hope is that you might just keep reusing the bag, um, but if you wanted your dollar back, right? At this point, a lot of us forget those bags. So there's an incentive to bring them back, to keep them in circulation. So this is just a small thing, but I thought this was kind of interesting as one of many efforts that will be needed to drive greater sustainability long-term in the industry beyond like climate pledge friendly and target forward and others, all great initiatives, but we need a number of efforts to solve for uh, you know, improved returns processes. This is an interesting return trip opportunity to incentivize that return, that, that reusable bag um, initiative and many others. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, whether this expands and whether there's a, there's a better incentive for shoppers to kind of continue to use these bags. And, and Chris, what do you think uh, we can do with e-commerce, you know, ship to home packaging? Like, how do you think that's going to evolve? Because we're producing a lot of waste with all the boxes, et cetera. No, no, that, that, that I mean, there, there won't be one solution, um, but that's a great question. Like, one, obviously, the ships in own container type, uh, you know, or frustration-free packaging efforts that Amazon has really led and incentivized and then in, in many cases pushed on manufacturers to adopt um, on top of their kind of box-free returns policies – if, if the packaging doesn't need extra boxing, that actually removes any extra waste on top of just at least that last mile having to be done both ways. Um, ultimately, when I think of things like Walmart's in-home delivery model, which we've talked about before, Oscar, where, where, where I see like maybe a long-term evolution of that is that 
the last mile is already in your house, i.e. your inventory is actually reusable inventory for other homes and other customers. And they just happen to be there based on what you might likely use. And so products are there on consignment. Then you don't necessarily have a lot of reverse shipping because the, the retailer takes what's either expired or unused or likely to be unused and takes it to be reused. And so products stop being wasted, but then packaging stops being wasted to a degree. And I'm sure there'll also be a whole slew of other things long-term of print on demand or you know production on demand type products, um, which I know a lot of food manufacturers have even been looking at too for long-term innovation. So there's a number of things that are both retail, logistic, and manufacturer side efforts that will all contribute, hopefully, to, but they've got to be, unfortunately, convenient for the shopper. And it sounds sad that most shoppers are not going to add friction to their lives just out of inspiration. You kind of have to make it a requirement. You know, you have to force them, cause some fear, or make it really favorable. Um, And so, or really convenient. And so there's a little bit more work, I think, on that to make it convenient so shoppers can easily want to do the extra effort that it takes to be more sustainable. Then, of course, you know, we have a lot of news around chat, GTP and AI. Um, so here are two examples. But I'll start with the one on the right, because I think it's 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 actually adding to the conversation. So we had chatbots probably for a few years now, but generally, uh, you know, based on some of the surveys that are you know out there, people were dissatisfied with them. So 53% of survey consumers basically rated them as fair or poor. Um which I, I think, you know, the problem with it is, is, you know, some of it is it's u- usage. Some of it is, is also trust, right? Some of it is it's, you know, kind of having a better kind of a, a understanding what to use them for because 17% of survey retail people um, and consumers that were basically using them, you know, to look for product. And then 7% of them were actually doing product recommendations, which is actually surprising because of their limitation, but I think in general, there is a little bit of a branding exercise that needs to happen with chatbots um, because the ch- uh, basically the GTP model that we currently have, you know, we are on version four, it, it, you know, it's not the same, not necessarily that the chatbots, because the chatbots, a lot of the times, the starting points were FAQs. The starting point was basically, you know, to make sure that people are not preoccupying time of the consumer, um, of the customer service, et cetera, right? So like in a way, we'll have to almost rebrand the chatbot to something else, you know, like to chat AI uh, to be able to actually, um, you know, showcase that some of the additional functionality that we currently have with more of the generative um, AI that is coming up. But then um, on the left, we have Mercari basically trying to do kind of like a merchant AI, which again, it's a smart way because they are branding it as a shopping assistant, basically using chat GTP. And basically the idea is, think about it, this is the extension of the chatbot, which is, it's like, hey, you can ask about the products and actually get a right answer. You can actually get some product recommendations, which, you know, that's very interesting to see how those different retailers will be actually then catering you know, their recommendation based on your assortment. Um, But what I basically want to tell you is that no matter what, the retailers will have to start training their own algorithm and not just, you know, 
using, for example, just OpenAI API. You know, there is a subset where you can actually develop almost like a fork of your AI and train AI on your business circumstances. So that's going to take some time, uh, but for sure we, you know, we kind of foresee a lot of the movement in that space and kind of rebuilding the usefulness of AI. And the same thing is going to happen actually with the home assistants, because if you think about it is, you know, what we had with Alexa, what we had with the, you know, Google Assistant was very basic, right? You know, uh, in terms of their their usefulness. Now we're going to have to kind of transcend this and actually almost treat them as a digital assistant, you know, with, you know, the ideas that we actually had them from the beginning that are actually useful, that can rely on it. At what point we can actually trust digital assistant with our credit card to actually automate some of the purchases for home. And that's really an interesting way how people will actually move in, move and change their behavior from what they are doing today into the future. When, and to your point, Oscar, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm sure you all out there have had the same thing, no matter where, for what service or product you go on and you're typing in and you get the, you, you clearly get the virtual chat bot. And it's like, you type in a question and it's, it's essentially a, a poor search engine. I mean, Google will always do a better job trying to get you something relevant than a lot of these. And you're like, well, so, so the only article that matched one of the keywords I typed in was unhelpful and didn't solve any of my problems. And so immediately you go to representative, representative, to talk to a real person. Whereas playing around with chat GPT, I mean, it literally is writing you real things. I mean, so, I mean, that this, just like anything, when I think of Oscar, you know, QR codes and shoppable recipes and things that kind of got a bad rap on the first iteration, especially in the U.S. market, but then took several years, but now we're like coming back, you know, I would say chatbots and kind of that virtual customer service, not to mention just search capabilities and recommendations could be amazingly improved with this, just, just having seen kind of my, a self-prompted chat GPT experience where I'm going in and guiding myself through it. Imagine if this was actually designed with a, a base set of knowledge and then could grow and learn off of that based on you. And so, um, so it's not surprising that the, the rate the experience is poor. Think of the potential. And we've seen a lot of uh, retailers starting to either add these capabilities or they're piloting and testing these. And I think we'll see a lot more of those. In the metaverse. So lots of interesting things going on here. Uh, Two things kind of that, that counterpoints, I would say, is uh, Gucci and Vans uh, just launched a scavenger hunt uh, kind of experience between their two different worlds on Roblox. If you have not played this, I have only been playing this because my two boys are obsessed. Uh, There's seven and nine. Um, and I've learned a great deal about what was, I, I guess, either lacking or great about my, my childhood uh, from my experiences. But um, Gucci Town and Vans world are combining through an experience that will allow gamers to navigate obstacles, exploring both worlds, looking for different fabrics and patterns that can ultimately be turned into uh, accessories and whatnot that their avatars can use. And if you play this, you realize that your avatar is everything. And I'm, I'm a knight of the round table, even though I'm using a free avatar in my game. And my, my sons think I'm, 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 I'm silly looking, but I, I, I think it's quite cool. And I'm not really willing to spend money on it. But wouldn't it be awesome if I could get Gucci level, uh, you know, look and feel on my avatar through such an experience? But we're seeing a lot of uh, 
a lot of brands trying and, and, and retail is trying to immerse themselves. And, you know, we saw Home Depot building out different, you know, roadblocks experiences to almost to like imitate their workshops that they house obviously every weekend uh, for consumers. Um, so we're seeing a lot of brands and, and retailers try to implement experiences, but we also uh, see on, on the counterpoint, Walmart who launched their universe of play uh, experience on roadblocks as a platform last fall um, is actually winding it back um, due to some of the privacy concerns. Um, and so this is going to be a challenge for, I think, a lot of brands, because there was obviously the not, not that Walmart was doing anything wrong here, but just the potential for being perceived as, you know, manipulating or, or you know, maybe improperly engaging younger generations. That could be a real issue uh, for any for any retailer. So Walmart's kind of taking probably learned some really important things from the experience, but it's kind of taking a step back here. Um, but this is going to be an, this is going to be a challenge for everyone because there are a these experiences can be quite addictive for those who are engaged. Not not that I'm judging; they're just very addictive experiences because you can choose your own adventure, you can choose how you are perceived. You've got currency, you've got status, you've got you know you're you're saving your your history on a lot of these things, and it's constant rotating in, you know inter entertainment and or edutainment depending on how you play. Um, it can be very immersive but it can also come at the potential for, you know, privacy concerns. So it'll be really interesting to see how brands and retailers navigate this as they try to make sure that they're almost like product placing themselves strategically in what is not a real world experience, but a virtual experience. But Oscar, I mean, you, you dabble in a lot of this as well. What, what's your take on this? I mean, so there are, there are a few things that are happening at the moment. Number one is we're dealing with unknown territory. And it's the same way as, you know, with generative AI and IP kind of ownership. There is a lot of discussion in terms of, well, if AI, you know, you cannot copyright AI. Um, but what happens if you, for example, you know, have a Drake song and Weekend song uh, together, right? So there is a little bit of a underlying dna that ai is actually using like so who owns the rights to it right so i think as as industry we just have to kind of wrestle some of those issues of privacies and figure out what's the right way because you know yes walmart winded down uh their kind of a roblox um, universe but then on the flip side you know meta just opened uh for teenagers horizon world so they could actually hang out together right um so I think everybody's kind of looking at it, figure out, you know, how to really draw the line. We know Apple is announcing in June, potentially, I mean, everybody's talking about this, a VR headset, which, you know, that could actually unify and, and galvanize the entire platform just because of, you know, it, it you know, Apple has a massive marketing, um, you know, engine that can actually just put ideas into people's heads. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And then from an avatar perspective is, you know, like one of the biggest issues that we have currently is like that everybody has their own avatar system. There is no unified system across multiple applications. You can take avatar from one to put it into another one. Um, you know, there's some, you know, partnerships when it comes into that, like, you know, we were talking about the Gucci and, and Vance example. So it, it's I think what's going to happen is we'll have to have a little bit of a unification We'll have to have a, a little bit of a legal cl clarification, you know, work out some of those issues that we haven't been able to, you know, uh, think through it, you know, for the last, you know, five, six years, just because of we just didn't have the imagination. None of us had the imagination which direction that's going to go. 
And then we we do have to have a little bit of a like a VR slash AR killer app that people will just jump on it. They will love it. They will use it, and that will basically change the whole industry. A little bit of an iPhone moment. You know, we we've been talking about this, and and we have to a little bit of also worked out. Do we see the future of entertainment to be VR or AR or XR? Right. So like VR headset completely immersed. Are we ready for this? Maybe AR, which is augmented reality, um, or XR, which is, you know, extended reality, um, which, you know, a lot of the manufacturers are now building out glasses that you can actually connect to your Steam Deck, you can connect to your Switch. And actually, I would not be surprised if Nintendo in the next generation would come up with, a, you know, kind of a glass system that you can actually plug in into next generation Switch. Um, you know, as a as an innovation, right? So we'll see how that's all going to play out. But it's definitely very exciting. Um, but we definitely need that killer app. Um, and then, you know, we always kind of pay attention um, to what, you know, some of the cosmetic brands are doing. So we know, you know, the Clinique was launching their own experience, um, you know, their Clinique lab, um, you know, it's available both on desktop and mobile. And then you can actually you know, kind of they build out their own, in a way, metaverse where you can actually talk to the consultants. You can you can look at uh, product uh, formulas. You can actually learn about, you know, history of the company. But for me, again, it's a, it's a great test. But again, it's a very, you know, it's, it's not a very wide test, right? It's, this is just another company creating an experience and, and playing with it and just trying to get some lesson for it, right? But the question that I would have is like, you know, could this be actually scalable more if, for example, Apple had some sort of avatar system, you know, in their upcoming headsets um, that could actually be integrated into it, right? So you wouldn't have to create your avatar from ground up and kind of go from there. So like right now to actually participate in those experiences, it takes a little bit of a time figuring out, setting everything up, right? It's not as seamless as it's like, hey, just jump in into it and, and you know, be going with this within like two, three seconds. Now, this one I thought was interesting because while it's just, it, it's not necessarily a capability that every retailer or brand in D2C is using, it was it was something that we thought really spoke to some of the challenges at least we see as shoppers, um, especially when we think of categories that, you know, maybe some of the traditional CPG categories don't need the same immersive online experiences, but while this doesn't move in front of you, the example, if you go look this up, it was kind of interesting just even on Infinite's website, but Infinite launches a next generation immersive online shopping experience. And they do 3D visualization for retailers' sites um, and they call it dynamic display among other things. I don't want to misrepresent them because I, I wasn't aware of them before the, the news. But what I love about this and this, while the image would arguably lead you to believe it was kind of like, I almost remember some of the, uh, some of the capabilities in, uh, the digital shelf, you know, enhanced content where you, and you can still see some of that where you can click over an image and something else pops up. This goes beyond that, where you could literally certain items in the room or in the experience can be swapped out, right? So suddenly, instead of let me see the couch in my room, I can actually design my whole room very quickly among choices and see how they all pair together. Um, or I could see the picture on the wall or how two would look or um, and, and this may not seem like a crazy capability, but it, it's a really important one, whether you're doing 
asking whether you're selling furniture or accessories or decor or what think about uh, shopping for apparel. Um, you try to shop for one piece. Most retailers don't tell you what looks good with that item. What if it did, but instead of it just saying, here's, here's five examples of what might look good. What if I could pair them together myself in real time? And there's a lot of retailers who are doing these virtual try-on capabilities, um, who are, are arguably allowing you to look at like a model, whether it looks like you or not, and, and pair items. But this type of capability arguably is even one step closer to what we need today before we talk about AR, VR, and XR, even though that's obviously a very close and blurry step away. This was just kind of a cool, uh, again, capability that we undoubtedly more retailers in different categories that merit this type of experience will need, um, especially where you're pairing things together. But it doesn't even have to be the pairing. It could just be the, I'm looking at content and I'm able to engage with it at a, at, a, at, a, at a deeper level. And I think this is where we think of like the future of content. This may be one of many steps towards that future before maybe we're all in Roblox or on that unified app or platform that Oscar, you talked about. So I just thought this was kind of a cool example of stuff that I already see is like a friction point today. I'm not a stylist. I don't know what looks good together outside of my amazing purple jacket that was a mistake to begin with. Um, but it would be really nice if I could like pair it and I could see what would look good with the purple jacket since I'm kind of stuck on that now. Right. Um, as opposed to, I hope it looks good when it gets here. Um, or I can pair them kind of the pictures next together. What if I could actually dress a model or see them next to one another in a lineup and take an AI infused recommendation, but make some of my own little custom edits to it. So this is, again, some of these capabilities exist, but it's about how, scaled and broadly they're made available and how many retailers adopt them. We're seeing a number of retailers try to bring some of this into uh, beauty and into apparel. It'll be interesting to see more of this, uh, you know, this become part of the, the the daily capabilities that many retailers have across the key categories. But, but that's what I think that, you know, some of those concepts that are actually from the AI um, image generate generators, like for example, uh, stable diffusion or mid journey can actually come in. It's like, because like you can very quickly generate a variation of that image. I honestly think you could create a, like if you hone in on the specific style that you like, then you can actually variate it through all, multiple options and see which one actually speaks to you, right? Before even kind of AI can actually learn what you like, what you don't like. So I think. There is that future that we are actually converging because if we had the AR glasses, you could create the entire experience, use the AI to then to variate your options, which it's actually exciting for me because what I actually think where, you know, e-commerce was always falling short for the last 20 years was the personalization, right? If you had an option to choose from, it was very hard and you, you not quite liked it. It was actually not it was not that easy to actually look up, you know, like in a traditional retail shelf to the left, to the right and find a better option. Right. Um, so e-commerce was always struggling with it because all the product recommendations were basically based on, you know, building basket, meaning they were upselling you something else versus, you know, trading you to something else that might be better. And then, you know, we always kind of pay attention what Uber is doing. Um, so we've basically seen that Uber Eats, it continuously to test the robots, um, you know, and this time they are actually using, um, you know, provider called CardCan, um, you know, in terms of that. And they are try trying this um, at different kind of locations throughout the cities. 
Uh, so we know that that's going to to happen. Um, and then we also know that Uber is also offering like a virtual uh, restaurant ex- uh, platform to you know for delivery platforms. So we know that they want to basically just create like a you know just virtual kind of a dining um, concepts um, with different partners and, and and being able to provide those experiences where you could actually hypothetically have. Uh, create a virtual restaurant where you might have a different, um, you know, cake providers to a different soup providers to a different, uh, you know, for example, you know, let's say a meat provider or vegetarian provider, which, you know, it it gets kind of interesting in terms of what the future would look like, where you actually can mix and match options and no longer be stuck of, you know, ordering from a restaurant that might have really good soups, but not necessarily the main courses or, or vice versa, right? Um, so it, again, it's a glimpse of the future, what it could happen. And then in terms of also innovation in general, when it comes into delivery, I highly recommend going on YouTube and, and Googling Mark Rober zipline videos, um, just because of, he was, you know, kind of showcasing the, the startup that was, um, you know, building out drones and then ziplining down the items to the people. Um, the system has been actually been used for delivering blood in Rwanda for the last six years. And now Zipline is trying to commercialize it within the US. But some of those ideas are fascinating in terms of solving for things like, you know, drone noise pollution and, and you know, just having something that's a little bit more reliable, you know, when it comes into, you know, delivery. So like, I highly recommend if you actually want to get, you know, down and dirty, kind of understand the, mechanics behind it the operations behind it because it's it's a fascinating world that you know sooner or later we're going to figure out it is interesting that uber while like amazon obviously for a number of reasons is pairing back its scout program with its robots like we've seen a couple robot pilots and programs halt or or you know or or get you know kind of tapered off and then we see but we, we still see you know, leaders testing these, right? So I don't think robots are going away. It's just a matter of who is running them and where they run them. In this case, you know, Uber, you know, testing in um, in, in a Fairfax, Virginia now, even though they had been testing before in the Miami, Miami-Dade County. Um, and I also, like to your point, Oscar, I think this platform, this is where it gets really interesting, where it's this initial platform is like the virtual restaurant, like the dark kitchen enabler, right? Where for many of us, we may never actually sit at one of these restaurants because none of them would actually exist, but they would exist virtually. But to your point, Oscar, what happens when in the future it's like, I want a Jersey Mike sub, turkey sub, but I want McDonald's French fries in the same order. Do I really have to order two separate things? I mean, Double Dash from DoorDash arguably solves for a little bit of that, but do I really have to order them separately? Or is it possible that something could make them and deliver them unbeknownst to me, I'm just getting one combined order of almost a marketplace order of things that I want in a seamless way. And I mean, that, that's going to take some infrastructure on the back end, but that's that becomes really interesting, right? Where I can have the pieces of things that I really want. It's not, I have to go, oh, I want subpar fries from one place, but I want the, the superior burger from another. Why can't I pair them together? Um, so I don't know that that becomes, to your point, the glimpse of the future is quite exciting especially for all of us who were just made to be hungry i kind of want that jersey mike sub at this moment um so there are 
and Oscar, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to cover two because you can, because I, I want your take on the Amazon news to come in two slides here, but there are two that are relevant here. Um, and they play into this, like what, what I call the exclusive revolution, but we were also playing off the revolution beauty brand um, here, but we've seen a lot of brand, like a lot of retailers are not only prioritizing their private brands for margin and differentiation, but also private brands have been exploding in recent years because of economic uncertainty that stemmed from COVID and from, you know, ultimately from the recession and other challenges, right? So we've, we've seen a lot of private brand, you know, evolution here, but there's also been a lot of D to C and challenger brand partnerships in retail that in, in major retailers that help them differentiate, but not necessarily bring on a smaller, you know, unknown brand, right? This, these are like strong brands with tappable, you know, audience segments that haven't been engaged at a Walmart or a Target. We've seen Target and Walmart do a ton of this, but this is another example of Walmart uh, partnering with Revo- Revolution Beauty. Um, to ultimately expand onto walmart.com and in many of their super centers. Um, and so this is just another, again, another example of retailers looking for this, actually activating this. And this is where the so what to the other, the, the big national brands, the global brands is, are you differentiating enough? That sounds like blasphemy to so many leaders. Cause it sounds like, so you're asking me to proliferate my portfolio. Yeah, but not proliferate. I would say strategically unrationalize the portfolio that we've rationalized for the last 15 years so far that maybe we don't even have half the SKUs that we probably really needed. I always go back to like, as a brand manager, I, or as an assistant brand manager, my first role, one of my special projects was rationalizing the Lysol brand. We got, we were able to decommission 76 unnecessary SKUs why did we not save 16 of those for the future? Arguably, we did, because I don't know what Reckitt did with all those. I'm sure they did something very thoughtful. But we could have saved some for the future when we would need some strategic exclusives. But if we don't bring a Walmart thoughtful differentiation in addition to the thoughtful innovation that national brands happen to have already brought many years in the past, we may not be on that shelf in the long term because a Walmart or a Target or any major retailer is going to say, I need something that no one else has. So I don't have to worry about competition. I, I really just have to work. I have to make sure I have strong value within the assortment I have. So they're not going to completely shed the top brands, the top sellers, but they're going to make a lot more room for some of these challenger brands, unless we either buy them as big CPGs or develop them. Um, and we've seen PNG developing a lot of exclusive brands for Walmart among others. So, um, this is one of many things we see changing. And, and Oswee obviously can weigh in here too. I love this example um, because I know Bayer uh, several years ago had acquired a, a majority share of Care-of, which was a, you know, a leading D2C vitamin supplement brand, allowing customizable and personalized vitamin supplement solutions for consumers. But what I love is that they've used that in and the strategic offerings that they've created for not only Target back in 2021, um, but also now Sam's Club. They've created some, you know, some thoughtful curated assortment that allows care of to help Sam's Club or Target in both instances differentiate their portfolio, 
capitalize on Care-of's brand equity and their shopper base without necessarily causing any channel conflict between retail and club and the careof.com site because what you get on careof.com would be different than what you would get as a, as a whole solution than what you would get at Sam's Club. But now they can tap a new shopper base. Everyone wins, right? Now, if you keep doing this, you're going to have to keep differentiating. And I don't want to say that's easy, but it becomes such a cool competitive opportunity when we use these thoughtfully. And I, I, I just, I'm not saying, you know, obviously Bayer and Care-of will have to continue this awesome strategy long-term, but I just think that's a really thoughtful way of using these D2C brands without just, I, I, I've seen a lot of D2C brands at Oscar, I know you have too, that are bought and then just proliferated, you know, and, and made available everywhere. And then you get price comping and lack of differentiation. And then there's nothing left between .com and the D2C versus retail. And it just becomes, it, you can't, you can't, you know, I, I, you can't like unwind that, right? Once it's done, it's done. I love this very thoughtful addition of unique items that build the brand in new retail locations, but don't undermine the one that, that cre- was the reason you'd be worth t- carrying anyway. So I think this is just a really cool two examples of retailers doing it or or obviously Bayer and, and, and care of leading some of that strategic differentiation. It's quite cool. Yeah, so, I, so a few things are happening, right? Uh, number one is we definitely see a lot of DTC brands that are struggling with channel strategy, you know, looking at pricing, looking really kind of understand this, how to grow their business. And then a lot of the times, um, you know, they come back and ask, it's like, hey, how do we fix this mess? Because, you know, our Amazon uh, price park architecture doesn't make sense with Sam's Club, people taking, for example, Sam's Club SKUs and taking them, um, uh, you know, apart and then selling them as each is. So a lot of the times it's a little bit of an afterthought, um, you know, when it comes into actually growing this sustainability because everybody's kind of focusing on distribution, right, versus trying to understand this, how is that distribution will shape their business into the future. Uh, but I think also the, the behavior is being driven by the retailers because so many of the retailers nowadays, they want to see the proof point of making sure that the brand is successful with consumers through online. Um, so we see kind of like a massive push from retailers to go after some of those DTC brands um, and basically trying to actually bring them in as more of a sure bet. So it, it's an interesting dynamic that it's playing out at the moment, but we'll have to kind of see, you know, what's more feasible way, especially with some of the potential disruption that we see in the future with, you know, like commerce AI based off shopping. And Oscar, this is, I, I felt like this was right up your alley. So I want yeah, to. Yeah. So Chris always tosses to me anything that it's like getting, you know, a little bit technical, but it's okay. Uh, I can kind of unpack this. Um, so a few things. Number one is um, I have no doubts that um, Amazon is trying just to kind of make their place and, and, and making sure that people think about them when it comes into uh, generative AI. Um, so they are actually exposing to their internal framework, um, you know, that they're calling bedrock, um, you know, a few things that, you know, they can actually start doing, which is, you know, you can generate images, you can solve math problems, but really the bigger idea is um, how you can actually utilize this technology in your specific workflow. So, 
can you actually use Amazon Bedrock to streamline your reporting or maybe, you know, come up with some of the new insights? So they kind of want to, you know, position themselves to be the AI solution for, you know, some of those enterprise customers. Uh, Because, you know, the future might look very different. You know, there might be less depending on coding, might be more dependent on AI and scripting. You know, we see a massive rise of... um, Python developers, you know, um, everywhere in on the globe, just because of the, you know, the demand is so strong at the moment. And a lot of the work uh, that is actually being done on OpenAI, you can actually do it executing via Python, which is a scripting language. Um, so I think from that perspective, Amazon is just kind of trying to start setting their offering, you know, to the brands, to enterprise, um, just to help them to figure out, it's like, hey, we actually have some of this tech um, on AWS, and we can actually position as a solve, um, you know, for some of your AI needs, and you know, kind of be almost the third, third or fourth play, uh, fourth force uh, behind AI. Because you know, at the moment, all the attention is on OpenAI, followed by Google, which Google, because of their deep mind, kind of fell backwards a little bit, and OpenAI overtook them. And and then you know, of course, Elon Musk wants to build his AI company. So there's like definitely a space for four or five giants just, you know, having an AI offering that makes sense. But for sure, nobody's actually making it super easy in terms of a plug plug and play for enterprises. So I honestly think Amazon sees this as a big opportunity um, to be able to create custom AI models that can be actually trained specifically for that enterprise needs, etc. So it, it's it's all very exciting stuff. Again, early days. It feels a little bit like 2000, you know, 2000, 2001 with web application development where we are kind of like, you know, outgrowing those, uh, you know, traditional web pages that could be built, you know, using HTML, CSS and, you know, into more enterprise solutions. So it's, it's very exciting stuff. And then the other thing is that um, Amazon is actually opening up um, Sidewalk which is a low bandwidth, long range network um, that all of the, in, you know, um, Internet of Things devices could be actually, you know, using, talking to each other. And, and think about a few things that are happening within the industry when it comes into that. So within home, a lot of the times there were like three competing technologies, which was Amazon Alexa. Then you had um, Google. And then, of course, you had HomeKit, you know, by Apple. And all of that got unified under Matter. Um, Matter is a protocol that everybody kind of agree on implementing um, to make sure that a HomeKit device can actually talk to um, Amazon Alexa device that, you know, that this doesn't become like a closed ecosystem and all of those devices can actually collaborate together. Where Sidewalk comes in is that Sidewalk can actually transcend that even outside of the home. So matter, think about it, is within home and then sidewalk outside of the home. So we're getting to, um, uh, you know, to a situation where we could create like a supplemental network of information that can be actually exchanged between devices um, globally and not necessarily relying on the internet, which, you know, there is a lot of need for that, you know, could be you know, it's a very similar to uh, a little bit like, you know, how um, Apple AirTags are using Bluetooth to, you know, and there are so many Apple AirTags in the world and so many Apple devices that they can actually communicate with each other, not using the internet, right? So that creates a lot of the, that innovation 
Um, I see this, you know, being super useful for things like, you know, robotics, last mile delivery. So it's a little bit of like an underlying network that can be actually created out there. Uh, And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interesting things and interesting things that can be actually built on the top of it. Instacart, as as we've heard many uh, months in the past, is, continues to expand its own part of capabilities, um, all puns intended, um, as they, again, A, try to build out an ecosystem and diversify themselves beyond delivery only because um, they need to make money and find other revenue and profit streams, but also as they've really been pushing to be the, you know, an enabler of retail partners, not a competitor. Um, so whether it had been the micro fulfillment centers that had sparked a lot of concern that they were going to own their own inventory, you know, they, they were very explicit. This isn't to compete with you. This is to essentially lease out the, you know, the, the micro fulfillment capability to key partners, giving you, like, allowing us to specialize that in that and you to be the retail arm um, of that. They've been launching a lot. Obviously, they have their advertising and their data and a number of other services, but this is um, part of their marketing solution suite. Um, and there's quite a few things I think that they've got planned in here long term. But this is really to provide retailers on their platform, large and small, but definitely you know small and medium retailers, regional retailers might find these immediately valuable. But I can imagine some of these things um, that they've called out will be highly valuable to the larger retailers too that partner with them. It's you know personalization and loyalty programs set up and linkage. And really important here, allowing customers to sign up for their store loyalty programs within the Instacart platform and app. And I think that's a really important thing is Instacart might be, hey, you know what, I need this fast or I like to shop Instacart, so I'm going to use that platform instead of the website. Or maybe that's how I engage this local retailer. But that doesn't mean that the retailer doesn't want to capture that data, engage directly with those shoppers and having the chance, having a seamless opportunity to essentially be shopping retailer X, but just through a white labeled or a, a full Instacart experience may be very, very helpful knowing that at the end of the day, Instacart isn't the one carrying my items that I want. It's the retailer that I've gone to shop. So I think they're going to be a lot more store within store enablement where Instacart really does is just the enabler, but they have to roll out those capabilities. And this is some, just some of the capabilities they really try to use to help uh, to offer to empower those retailers. So um, really cool to see Instacart continue to expand that, knowing that, you know, again, DoorDash has been pushing a lot of, uh, you know, into the retail delivery space. We just talked about Uber continues to expand their capabilities more within the, the food service delivery space, but they're really trying to own new, new types of capabilities and, and empower those dark kitchens. Instacart's really going again after the retailers and how they can help help retailer partners succeed in this space. And then, you know, we saw Snap that they, they announced kind of the AR, AR solution, which is, you know, ties in very nicely to what we were just discussing with Amazon. Um, so basically, they are creating like enterprise services, um, entire division that, you know, how to integrate, you know, Snap technologies, you know, and help businesses to kind of integrate them. Um, so we're going to see more and more of that just because of AR, VR, XR, integration in terms of everyday business, the same thing with, you know, OpenAI, ChatGTP, um, as well as some of the other um, frameworks that we have out there, out there, you know, with Amazon Bedrock. Um, so that's definitely something that we're going to be paying attention because um, 
for sure the the consumer uh, things that are being built are great, but a lot of money is going to be actually being made on those B2B solutions. So I suspect a lot of those companies will actually jump on the bandwagon, um, you know, to make sure that this technology is ready for businesses to use. And we're all going to be learning new frameworks and new technologies. Um, but before we uh, finish some of the news, is, uh, Chris, I wanted to kind of ask your opinion about what's going on uh, and how you feel about uh, Bed Bath Beyond actually, you know, filing Chapter 11 and shutting down the operations what was interesting for me when I was actually uh, reading the the news reports that they cited actually rise of e-commerce as one of the reasons one why why they actually went out of business uh, to say that you know in the nineties and two thousands you know be- before like a widespread e-commerce you know for all of those retailers it was mu- it was much be much uh, much easier to be a category kind of a chain. Uh, and really focus on the category, but internet and e-commerce just changed a lot of those things. So I just thought, I just, um, just curious if you had any um, thoughts about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it, I don't want to say this isn't a specific comment to Bed Bath and Beyond, but I, I don't want to say it's surprising to see additional category specialist struggle in the, in, in the good fight for leadership in this space. Um, knowing that, no, no, knowing just the challenges of e-commerce and the, the transparency uh, and, and the fact that there are all these other marketplaces where you can argue, arguably find many, many other products, a lot more variety, maybe at better better values, and that, that maybe that in-store experience isn't necessarily designed for the same level of discovery or treasure hunting that like Club um, you know, or TJ Maxx and others might be known for, um, you know, with like closeout shopping and things like that. So I don't want to say I'm surprised. I, I'm sad that, that that's happening, but I also know like Bed Bath and Beyond had partnered with Kroger uh, last year to sell their assortment or select assortment on Kroger's marketplace, and so potentially in the same way that like Toys R Us has tried to make a few comebacks, maybe Bed Bath and Beyond in its current state can't continue to operate, but maybe some of the products or the brands or the again the assortment could be offered somewhere else. And again, I, I, I do think maybe this is a, a shot over the bow to a lot of other category specialists. How do I make sure I've got my network of, I am maybe selling on the Amazon marketplace or on the Walmart or the Target or the Kroger or whatever. How do I differentiate and use my assortment maybe or my partnerships for whatever assortment I was carrying that was unique to me to add that value to some other place where I can still be sold, but maybe not have to worry about the physical store operation. So um and that doesn't mean you should shut your stores down per se, but if you can get out ahead far enough of differentiating where you're being sold, not just through your own channel, you might not get bypassed like some of these players who did not start doing that. So again, even retailers have to like, I always think of like Sears where they were actually like some of their greatest assets have been their, the brands they were carrying that were their own brands, um, you know, like craftsman tools and things like that. So how do you get out ahead and, take the brands you have and bring those somewhere else if they are transferable somewhere else ahead of time. But do you think, you know, in the future, we're going to see actually traditional category retailers, let's say like Ulta, really focusing either on both their e-commerce and maybe their experiences within other larger retailer, mass retailers like Target? Because it might not be make sense financially to actually run your own 
operations, store operations for a lot of reasons, you know, um, you know, shrinking space. Maybe it's just because of they cannot uh, get enough people to work there, etc. Like, so how do you think that's going to play out? To, to your point, I mean, I, I think many retailers may be in a place where, you know what, they have some flagship stores of their own, maybe that are profitable, um, that are maybe more of a discovery in a service center. They were not going to be able to supply, you know, service everybody, um, you know, nationally or globally. They There will be some of that, like you said, Ulta, which who may have stores within stores. And we I think we talked like Target and Walmart undoubtedly may end up being like the future mini mall of sorts where you've got you know, where, where you, you, it's, it's more of a department store with other players inside, but there's one seamless experience, maybe the mini mall in certain instances where those shopping centers might end up, maybe some of these bigger stores have some smaller, you know, discovery centers, if you will, and, and or returns. But to your point, it, it may be more about how, how do I digitally sell on multiple marketplaces and or partner to strategically offer select brands or assortment on some, you know, through. So basically as a retailer, how do I become the manufacturer or an enabler of some of the manufacturers that I was working with and bring those over and, and almost be the curator, if, if you will. So not all of that is foolproof long-term either, but I, I think that just the brick and mortar model without a lot of other ecosystem building that again a walmart a target a kroger and amazon have been doing is going to be a lot more challenging so i think we're going to see a lot of players proactively taking steps as some have but they may have to move a little faster to make sure that they don't have the same challenge because remember the rest of wall street's still working on quarterly capitalism they're going to ding you on the quarter they're not going to give you seven more years to figure it out they're going to give you like two quarters <laughs> um so you, you may have to you may have to move a little more quickly and pivot. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that, but um, each category is going to take a different journey because some, some are in different places. So um, really interesting to hear that and, and know where, where the world's moving. So, um, so we've covered a lot in a short window of time, but we hope that was helpful and gave you at least two geeks perspective on where, the, where the world is going. Um, but we're always here to answer questions or share other POVs on things you're seeing or questions you have. Um, this isn't the only event, though, that you could participate in. Our next Cyber Monday is next month, not too far away, on uh, Monday, May 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern, same time, same place, roughly, um, it, you know, uh, digitally. But as we said, we've got our two Amazon events taking place tomorrow and Wednesday. Um, if you want to join us for either one or sign up to get the recordings, either way, we'd love to have you. Um, beginning of May, we've got our 5-5 Future of Content event, which will be relevant to anyone. It doesn't just have to be digital shelf leaders, this will be relevant to the broader flattening of the funnel, right? Retail media teams and any marketer or sales leader that wants to know where this world is going. We've got Kroger later in May, and then kicking off June, we've got the future of measurement as part of that uh, future of series and many more to come. So again, go to firstmover.com forward slash events, and you can sign up for free on all of these. And as always, if we can help you with connections, career thoughts or advice or perspective, perspectives on companies. We can help you with custom training programs, workshops, speaking, advisory, consulting, you name it, or just thoughts on a partner that, you know, we help, we help connect a lot. You know, we're here to give you a very objective view. Always want to help fellow first movers in any way we can. Oscar and I will be helpful, helpful in any way we can. Chris at firstmover.com or Oscar at firstmover.com will get either one of us, or you can email us at hello 
at firstmover.com and you'll get double trouble because we'll both respond. So um, hope you have a great rest of your Cyber Monday week here um, and looking forward to our next one. We'll see you at our next events.